Good evening. It is good to be with God this evening. And if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. We'll open your Bibles to Matthew, the sixth chapter, and we'll continue what was uh, begun this morning as we study, of course, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, the Sermon on the Mount. What's interesting as we look in the fifth, sixth, and seventh chapter is what is recorded as the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, and the majority of the sixth chapter deals with how we use our possessions and who will be our master. And this morning we develop somewhat every aspect of Matthew the sixth chapter and verse 24, and let's read that and then just quickly review a few things and go right into the other passages in Matthew the sixth chapter. Matthew the sixth chapter and 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And of course, mammon is talking about money or material things. And so here, the Lord makes it very clear, preaching this sermon to the disciples then, and it is the master lesson that should be brought down and taught to all of us and to every disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is we have to decide which master will we serve. Money is a master in many individuals' lives, but money is a hard master. It's never fair to its servants. But yet, on the other hand, the Lord is a wonderful master realize you can't serve both and whichever one you serve you'll begin to disconnect from the other that is one of the reasons why materialism is such a dangerous temptation this morning we saw how Paul writing by inspiration to Timothy in 1 Timothy the 6th chapter he left almost no stone unturned to be able to emphasize how that desired to be. And then we didn't have time to develop that next verse, but the next verse he talked about how it was so dangerous. The love of money. Both of those are hard descriptions of what it is to make in our life our master money. To review that as we begin this lesson this evening is that as we look at three other passages in Matthew, the sixth chapter, we'll see four other points. And each of these points are things that Jesus laid out by showing, look what happens when your master is God, as it ought to be, and look what happens in our life when our master is not God, but instead is money. Let's go back to Matthew, the sixth chapter, and see how this chapter begins. Matthew, the sixth chapter, we're going to read first two verses that deal with how it'll be if money is our master. Then we'll look at the next two verses of how to be if God is our master. And so here's what the Lord teaches here. And as we read these, think about the terms of it being our motive. What is our motive when we use our possessions in a gift to others? Sometimes it might be easy to think, well, all that matters is that I give. And that's not true. To God, the motive is as important as the gift itself. And here's what we read. Matthew, the sixth chapter... Beginning of verse 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds. That is, giving gifts to the poor. So he says, take heed that you do not give your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, 
They have their reward. So there's two verses of how not to do it. Let's read the next two verses. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. As we develop this passage, let's first make sure that we're real clear on what the Lord was saying was wrong. In the synagogues, there seemed to be a practice that would have been very common out in the streets of that day and time. For example, there wasn't CNN news, there was not a daily paper that could be sent about, and so when messages needed to be announced, a trumpet would sound. That was the call of attention. And then after the trumpet was sounded, if you were out on the the corner, out on the street, you might look over to the corner of the street, and there would be a herald. And everyone would become quiet, and they would listen to see what the news that was being announced that day. Well, here he says, you know, there are hypocrites that do that same sort of thing in the synagogue. Whenever they want to do something to be seen of men, they sound a trumpet. Now, were they literally blowing a trumpet? Maybe they were. Or is that a figure of speech to say they were getting everybody's attention, and then when everybody was watching, they would give a gift. In other words, I'm going to drop a large amount of money into the treasury box this morning. Is everybody watching? Everybody watches and he drops it in. And so Jesus takes this hypocritical situation that they would have been... ...individually when you're giving to the poor. And he tells you how it should be done and how it should not be done. The first thing that he teaches about the way it should be done be to help the poor because in so doing, we're serving God. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe it's something we've always taken for granted. Think about this tonight. We help the poor. Why not let them fend for themselves? Why have God's people always helped the poor? Even in times like in this culture when there were not social services in a community to support them, oftentimes it would be the religious people that would get the greatest amount of support. Let's think for just a moment. When we have a heart like God, that is a compassionate heart that fills the needs of those around rule to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you is to needs and say I would want someone to relieve me of those needs and James the first chapter verse 27 it's not an option and it's not a suggestion the Lord teaches there for those of us that have the ability to serve the widows and the orphans that are in need in many cultures the widows were people that were poor not as often today but that was definitely the culture of that day but still nevertheless it today, we are commanded to support them and to help them. And I suppose in every culture, orphans were those in need, and even today. And so it's the command. It's not a suggestion. It's the command to help them. Then we go to Matthew, the 25th chapter, and we see another tremendous insight to helping those that are poor. You remember, that's the text where the Lord says, if there's someone without water, you give them drink. 
If there's someone without food, you give them food. If there's someone without clothing, you give them clothing. If there's someone that's sick, you bless them with your presence and imply they're also your service to them. And if there's a stranger, you take them in. Offer them a place. Offer them a meal. And if they're in prison, you go and support them. What was the Lord doing? He was picking out what was oftentimes in their culture those that were in poverty. Now note this. This is so important for tonight's lesson. And the Lord says, you people have done that. And in Matthew, the 25th chapter, they say, Lord, when did we serve you in those ways? And he says, when you've done it to the least of mine, you've done it to me. I need to understand a very important text here in the context in which it's laid. When we help the poor, we are actually serving Jesus Christ, according to Matthew 25. So how are we supposed to help the poor? He says, I want you to do it quietly. In opposition to verse 1 and 2, I don't want a trumpet sounding. And then to even drive the point home more, he says, I want it to be one of those things where you're almost trying to do it behind your back. We've all played games with the little kids and, and you put something behind your back and after a little, while, a little while the kid catches on and tries to run behind your back and says, what are you doing behind your back? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. The analogy is almost to exaggerate the fact. Let's let this be done quietly. Let's let it be done in secret. Why? Because it's not about the reward that we can obtain on earth. And in the next point, we're going to talk about more about how important it is for us to realize that our greatest reward is in the eternity to come. We're laying up those treasures in heaven. But you know, there's a is so important. Is helping someone financially more important than helping someone spiritually? I think all of us would agree that the spiritual help we give someone is the greatest help. Do you realize it's possible to help someone financially and it actually be a turnoff to them spiritually? Imagine, if you will, you were in poverty. Maybe it was the loss of health, maybe it was loss of family members, and you found yourself in poverty, and you needed, you needed someone to help you. And so a church down the road, they decide they're going to help you. Oh, how relieved you are. You've needed this help. But instead, they put a big sign out in front of your house, and they say, sponsored by... And they make announcements on the trumpet. We're going to help this poor man here that can't take care of himself. We're going to help this poor woman here that's in need. We want the whole community to know that we're the church that helps poor people. How quick would you be to say, I want to learn more about the God those people serve. It's so important that you and I learn that the great and all to others is to allow them to maintain their dignity and to show them the love of Jesus Christ not only in the gift that we give them but in the way we present that gift I don't know if it's true or not but I love the story that's told about Miss Miller she was standing there in the same room with her deceased husband still in the casket friends were coming by and she was visiting with one and she began to tell them one of the things she loved husband. She said, you know, we had that vegetable stand on the side of the road for years and years. And you know, there were several poor families in our community. Mr. Miller was the type of guy 
that when these little boys would come up, he would always find to help that family without them ever realizing that he was the one that helped them. Did it in a dignified way. The conversation would go like this. Barry, how's your mama feeling nowadays? Oh, Mr. Miller, she's a little better. The doctor able to get up and, and be about something. Barry, what you looking at there? Oh, Mr. Miller, I'm just eyeing them nice green beans. Those sure are some good-looking green beans, aren't they? Mr. Miller, knowing that they wouldn't have supper that night if he didn't give them something, would say, why don't I get you a bag of those green beans? He said, oh, Mr. Miller, I don't have any money to pay for those green beans. He says, I know you don't, but I bet you have a marble in your pocket, don't you? Boy, pull it out. He said, what's that? He said, that's my favorite blue shooting marble. Say, well, you know, blue's not my favorite color of marble. Do you think you have a red one at home, maybe that you'd trade for a bag of green beans? Little boy's eyes would brighten. He'd say, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I think I do. He'd say, I tell you what, tomorrow sometime you come back and you bring me that shooting marble, and today you go ahead and take the bag of green beans. The next day that boy would come back and he'd have that dingy, worn-out marble Mr. Miller would look at it and say, Now, Barry, that is a good-looking marble. But I was looking for one a little bit darker than that. You think you have one darker than that? Yeah, yeah, I think I do. He says, I tell you what, you take some of this corn and a bag of these tomatoes home, and we'll count that as our trade. You bring that marble back tomorrow. And his wife described how he fed three different families for years as the husbands had been deceased and the women were looking after the children alone. About that time, three nice-looking walked in. One was in a Navy uniform and the other were clean-cut. And she whispered to her friends, that's them right now. She noticed each one of them laid their hand on the hands of Mr. Miller. They came over and they gave her a hug and they talked about Mr. Miller's trades, that now they understood, kept their family alive for those years, and how they never forgot it. And when they left, she walked back over and looked over into the casket. She noticed that now, in her husband's hand, were three shiny, bright red shooting marks. Friends, the Lord made it very clear. He couldn't have said it in a more powerful way. Christians help the poor, period. Christians help the poor in a dignified fashion, period. And when Christians do that, there won't be a lot of reward on earth, but there will be the greatest reward that we could ever imagine in the time to come. Speaking of the time to come, let's read about that. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 19. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here again, we have the idea of which master do we serve. 
You see, when our Master is the Lord, we're going to lay up our treasures where they can't be taken away from us. When our treasure is money itself, we hoard it. As one old philosophy back about a hundred years ago went something like this, to those that hoard money, coins are flat so that they can be stacked. And for those that indulge in pleasures with all of their money, it's round so it can roll out to buy their indulgences. What shape is your money? Does your money have kind of an eternal shape to it? You know, a, a shape where it just doesn't stack up on this earth very well. It's not made for all kind of carnal pleasures. Do you honestly believe that your money is to be used to store up in heaven? We talked and even studied from the scriptures this morning the means of saving is not to hoard it up. We came into this world with nothing and we'll leave this world with nothing. And if we want to use what God gives us in a way to glorify Him, then we can have the greater blessing. What about those that try to hold to it and stack it up? He gives a warning here. He says, you know what moths do? And you know, in their day and time, and if you even notice all throughout the Old Testament, a tremendous way of saving money was to place that money in the form of expensive materials, expensive clothing. And, and even though we know that even today clothing can cost quite a bit, we don't think of it as a way of investment. But for their day and time, it was literally a way to invest because these clothings and these expensive cloths could be resold for just as much or if not more than what they were originally purchased. And so he takes something that they were accustomed to, these expensive clothing, as a way of, of saving. And he says, what about if moths? go in and begin to devour your savior? Or what if it's some kind of structure or something uh, that would be considered a value made out of a metal? And what if rust eats away at it? And then, you know, most things that individuals save of gold and silver and precious jewels, they're small. What if thieves just break in and they steal all of it from you and they run off with it? Where's that left you? And the truth is coming the day of judgment. And all of the things that we up on this earth, they'll simply be burned. Well, where does that leave individuals that have God as their master? The ones that have God as their master have used the means to lay up treasures in heaven. And as they lay up those treasures in heaven, they're laying them up in a place that those treasures cannot be lost. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke, the 16th chapter. I'm sorry chapter. And Luke, the 12th chapter, as he closes this verse in verse 21, he closes this thought in 21. Back in Matthew 6, he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice here, and, and we don't have time to develop heavily this paragraph here, the 12th chapter, but notice in verse 13, Jesus has been and if we tie some other Gospels together, we'd see this even more thoroughly. Jesus has been teaching, and then there's an interruption in His teachings. And of all things, the interruption is not new. Can you elaborate more on some kind of spiritual message here? The interruption is something like this, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to Him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Isn't that interesting? In a Bible class that, that I was in this morning, we talked about how some things just never change. 
And we looked in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, how a woman and her husband had created more debt that once he had died, they created debt. And see that some of the problems back thousands of years ago are the very same problems that we create even today. And then, this is going to be a little sidebar, but just take this one and think on it for a moment. It's always, to me, the and they try to, to pile up a great amount of wealth. And if you ask them why, their answer is, well, I just want to leave security to my children. I want to leave great things for them. You know, I, I just want to, you know, I just want to knock, knock on my head or their head and say, which one of us is out of it? How many children have you seen inherit great amounts of money that some of the children didn't begin feuding against each other? and or they use those assets to a detriment in their life. Surely, people can see that money are hardly ever a benefit. Hardly ever. I mean, think about it. If we really love our children, talk to lawyers. And they'll tell you that one of their frequent cases is trying to settle disputes between children, their heirs of inheritances. And so that's a, that's a common thing. And when individuals that haven't had large amounts of money, a lump sum amount of money, it almost always makes their life worse off. That's a common thing. Common. And so we're talking about two things that are... Because I want security from... A, what kind of security? Security that you know they'll be fighting each other? Security that you know they're going to get in all kind of trouble? Are you looking for security and happiness? Security and happiness is making the Lord our master and passing that on to our children, that the Lord is the master and all that we have is for the use to the Lord. And it's not about piling it up. It's about using it to glorify God. And of all things, here Jesus is in the middle of beautiful teachings and a guy raises his hand. Now, can you imagine this? He's in the middle of spiritual teachings, and a guy raises his hand, and he says, you sound authoritative. Me and my brother are in the middle of a big brawl here. We need somebody to settle our inheritance disputes for us. Times haven't changed. Times haven't changed at all. And so the Lord, he won't settle their dispute for them. But what he will do is he'll give them a powerful lesson about they should be there that day to gain spiritual things. And so he teaches this lesson, verse 14. Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He said to them, he's looking back to the crowd now. He's using this man as an example. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. See, here's a man that has died. He's left a host of possessions to his children, and they're fighting, and he says, See, that's what this man's left. How well has this man done? He wanted what was great for his children. He left them in strife. How well has he done? And so he gives a powerful teaching here. He spoke a parable to them, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, and I'll build greater, and there I'll store all my crops and my goods, and I'll say to my soul. See, here's where he makes his mistakes. He has material things, and he puts his security in them. Soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Just another sidebar. Isn't it interesting that that's the story he told about two brothers that were quarreling over an inheritance? Just take that one and mull it over this week. Out of all the stories of stewardship, he tells about a man that placed all of his emphasis on life, on material things, and then uses that to answer the dispute between two brothers that were fighting over their father's inheritance. What's the point? The point of this parable that he teaches is that they place their security in the things. And he closed by talking about the treasure. So is he who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. This is how it's laying up treasures for yourself. Not to be used for God's glory, but for us to find security. But the interesting thing is that as long as we place our trust in riches, we never find security. It's only when we place our trust in God that we find security. It's only when we place our trust in God that we know our needs are provided. And that brings us to the next section of verses. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 25, the need not worry. And let's just go ahead, and, and this is where he talks about in verse 26, God takes care of the birds of the field, and in verse 28, he takes care of the lilies of the field. And now let's drop down, and let's read 31 through 33. And notice here, as we think about the trust that God wants us to have, not as money as our master, but as God being our master. Therefore, do not worry. This is saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Things the Gentiles seek. Father, no, you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Building, just right off the last point. Someone that has money as their master tends to believe that some way money is going to bring security to their life and security to their family. But all of their life, they're working for more because they never reach that level where they have enough that they feel secure. And the Lord tells us through Solomon that the ones that believe that will never feel secure because those that want more money continually want more money. And so when money is our master, it's a constant insecurity because we always believe, I've got to have a little more. If my family's going to be secure, they have to have a little more. And we find ourselves going through life like the dog chasing his tail. It's never caught, never content. Then the Lord says, let me be your master. Lord, what is it for you to be my master? And he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Now, that's one thing. What's the kingdom of heaven? We're in Matthew Acts, the second chapter, the church, the Lord's kingdom on earth, was established. The church is the Lord's kingdom on earth. And he says, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How important is church work to you? 
How important is kingdom work to you? And this brings us to an important question in this series where for the whole chapter, the sixth chapter, has been about possessions and money and masters. How's the church funded? We see throughout the scriptures the only way the church is funded is by the free offerings of Christians. So what are Christians to seek first in their finances? Because that's what this whole paragraph is about. It's about finances. And so he's saying when you get your paycheck, what's the first thing you do with your paycheck? And by the way, in a few weeks, this, this same point right here will be rerun again as we look at some other verses. But here, as we're studying Matthew 6 this evening, let's place this in here. Lord, what do you want me to do first with all of my increase? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Someone says, do you think the Lord's satisfied if I have this much left at the month? Listen, it doesn't matter if it's it's $100 or $1,000 or $100 million. The answer is no. The Lord's never satisfied with what's left. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God has never been satisfied with what's left. God wants what's first or He doesn't want it at all. We give God the first part of our increase. We better give God the first part of our energy. We better give God the very first of everything that He's given us. He says, if you'll do that, I'll keep my promise. Lord, what's your promise? You put me first in your giving. And I promise you, you'll always have the necessities of life. That's what he says there in 33. The birds of the air, God takes care of. The lilies of the field, God takes care of. Those that seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, God takes care of. Now, who do we trust? We're making full swing back around now to this morning's lesson. Money is our master. We're going to seek money first, not God. And we're going to try to convince ourselves that if we ever can get enough, we can be secure, but we won't ever be. Or we can have God as our master. You know what? He's never once failed to keep a promise. Not once. He says, you give to me first, and I promise I'll take care of it. Tom Joyner was a DJ back in the 90s, and I don't know where he is today. He did a morning show in Dallas, getting up at 5.30 in the morning, three hours on the air, jumped in a black limo, rode to Dallas-Fort Worth uh, International Airport, jumped on the same flight every day to Chicago, got there in time to do an afternoon radio program, got back on an American Airlines flight, back into a limo, and was back into his home at 10 at night, in bed by 11, and was up at 3.30 the next morning to do all of this over and over again. At that time, he was making somewhere between half and three-fourths of a million dollars. Special was run on TV as to this type of lifestyle, and this is a man that had a family, and asked him why he would live that kind of life. And you know what his answer was? Working for two radio stations, I believe I can provide security for my family. 
money was going to do it for him, wasn't it? You see how hard it is to serve money? Well, what about your family? You see them much? No. You're able to help mold your children? I don't see how I could. You enjoy your time? Oh, time with your family. But boy, I got security for them. No. There's no such thing as security in money. None. The only security that we have, the only security we have in this earth is a righteous relationship with God. What do we have in the eternity to come? Whatever we've sent ahead. That's it. Whatever we've sent ahead. Tonight, it may be money, it may be power, it may be prestige, it may be popularity. It could be a host of things that Satan will kind of dangle out in front of us and say, if you can just believe in these things, you can find what you're looking for. Tonight, I'm begging you and I to believe God. Take God at His Word. If you want to be able to lay down at night and know that things are right in your life, if you want a peace that passes understanding, if you want security that nothing else can provide, if you want a life that whatever day your last day is to live on this earth, you can say, I know my life was well spent. If you want to be able to know that after your last breath, the next moment is going to be awesome. Friends, that life is only when God is our master. Tonight, let's make sure that we all leave here with God being our master. If you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, won't you do that tonight? If you have been baptized into Christ, but somewhere along the way things have gotten out of order, won't you repent of those sins and confess those sins? There's nobody here that's lived for any length of time that hasn't had things out of order in their life sometime. Friends, the Lord's plea for us to be forgiven. We're not perfect. But let's have Him as the Lord of our life and to be a family of people that have been forgiven. If we can help in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.